the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in, we'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. We have a volatile stock market. It's always interesting when this happens because people get scared. and They forgot that they've seen this before in 2011 and 2008. It happens on a regular basis, and it usually creates a heck of a buying opportunity. I've been buying, and I hope you've been adding to your portfolio what you may need. Not just randomly buying, but what you may need. The markets are higher today. Does that mean this is where we're going to close? I have no clue. Uh, there's a lot going on right now. I would say the headlines are fear of China slowing down, fear of the Federal Reserve raising interest rates in September. It's going to happen sooner than later. September or December, it's going to happen. That's the expectation. There's What else is the big fear? Hmm, earnings? Apple's got a big announcement next week. New phone. Woo! Do you remember when you used to get excited by these announcements? There's still people who do, but I don't. Uh, we'll hear a little bit more about how their music's doing. We'll hear about they're, they're basically changing Apple TV from a, a skinny device to a thicker device. It's going to be more of a computer going forward with its own platform and its own app store. So I think that's going to be interesting to see roll out. But am I excited? I can't say that I am. I will say what I am excited about. Uh, I like buying opportunities in the stock market, but I think... I think my payday just came in. Listen to this email I just got. Hello, I wish to introduce myself to you as Miss Yingluck Shinawata, the ex-Prime Minister of the Kingdom of Thailand. I wish to discuss some confidential issue and business proposal with you because I want you to handle it on my behalf. In the year 2011-2014, I was Prime Minister of the country, Thailand. During this period of time, I transferred some funds via Slam Commercial Bank to London, England. I deposited the funds worth over 250 million British pounds in a secret account in London, but due to some recent happens in my country, I cannot claim the funds myself. The proposal goes like this. You facilitate the transfer of the funds to your country. 
I want you to wire the funds into your account in your country. If you are successful, you will get 40% of the said funds, and you will use 40% for an investment, which I will instruct you about why the balance 20% will be used for expenses. I'm going to get 40% of $250 million. Can you believe this? The ex-prime minister of the Kingdom of Thailand wants me to help her? That's awesome. I don't have to work this, this, this job anymore. I'm going to own my own island. Elsewhere in news today, U.S. private payrolls rose. But they missed expectations. Productivity was revised up, which helps fight inflation. Um, Major indices jump today, recovering some of yesterday's swoosh. Not all of it, but some of it. Are you excited or are you scared? Be scared. Be very, very scared. Boo. Boo. I'm the stock market. I'm coming to get you. Okay. Yeah, there's, that doesn't even make sense, does it? Why wouldn't anyone be afraid of the stock market? CBS is going to stream some regular season NFL games for the first time. I think we all see the writing on the wall that like things have to change in the way we consume television. The old models of pay for 500 channels. People are getting pissed off with. I pay for 500 channels. And I only watch one show a week. Shouldn't I be like, isn't that crazy? Isn't that, that, that's the true definition of crazy. I should be angry. So CBS is is toying with, you know, what's the next model look like? Is it going to be streaming? Network said today that uh, the October 4 matchup in London between the Jets and the Dolphins will be streamed. Ooh, that's going to be a good one. The Thanksgiving afternoon game between Carolina and Dallas will also be streamed. Ooh, that'll be a good one, too. Can you tell I don't give a rat's poop uh, about football? But a live stream of the Super Bowl, uh, pretty cool. I think that's gonna, I think that's a good thing. I don't think. I think they're experimenting with the future, and well, they should, because the future is now. Whoa, heavy, dude, right? Um. S and P is trying to toy with staying out of a quote-unquote correction. Let it happen. Uh, last year we had kind of a rolling correction, so some sectors would get hit, and some sectors would get hit, some other sectors would get hit, some other sectors would get hit and recover. So we sh- we kind of shook people out. I like corrections and I like bear markets because it shakes out people. Um, I got an email from a guy who's you know he does his own investments and he won't do his own investments in a down market, or he'll significantly underperform and when you underperform it's brutal trying to catch back up you know anytime you lose 10 percent, it takes a lot more than 10 percent to get you back to whole and that's tough to pull off i mean these markets average 10 percent. They're, they're not they're not glorious all the time and i'd say this year was it's a frustrating year for people because some markets are a little bit down some markets are a little bit sideways some markets are a little little, little bit up uh, but it's frustrating for people. And like earlier in the year, you saw China up 20%. So you're like, I want China. I want China. And then China falls 30%. You're like, I want out of China. I want out of China. Um, I don't know. Managing your money, I think in your 20s, you want to get organized. You want to make a list of everything you own. From the money in your bank to your cars to your valued possessions. 
You want to build a budget with your first paycheck. You want to set up a budget with three sections, essentials, savings, and fund money. You want to allocate something towards savings, period. You know, the essentials, rent, utilities, food, transportation. But you have to allocate something towards savings. The best way to do that is a 401k, especially if your company has a match. Uh, Salem Radio, great company, awesome company to work with. Wonderful company to work with. The, the management at Salem, they're handsome and smart, and uh, they care about high-quality shows. Um, they do a 401k match. They're my heroes. In your 30s, now you got to start looking at things. Like, is your career working out the way it should be? Is it time for ask for a raise or a promotion? If starting your own business is appealing, you know, maybe now is the time to make the leap. I like marriages where... One spouse is an entrepreneur, one spouse works for a big company like an IBM, or one gets really good health care, one gets really good benefits, one gets really good write-offs. Um, I want you to own a home in your 30s. I want you to rent in your 20s while you're figuring out where you're going to work and, and settle down. Um, buying a home in your 20s sometimes could be a little bit premature, um, but if you want to try I'm not against it. I just I kind of want you to do it in your 30s if possible when things have kind of made more sense and you've got some, I would say, spit polish to you. You want to get serious about investing and saving in your 40s. Your time's running out at this point in time. Um, do you want to get a second home? Good time to do it in your 40s. Uh, in your 50s, you're facing retirement head on. You want to get realistic. You want to see how much you're going to have in the next 10 years. Maybe it'll double one more time before you retire. Um, so if you got 100000 maybe you're kind of on 200000 Maybe you're looking at your budget. Uh, you want to start thinking about long-term care in your 50s. Uh, that's probably the optimal time to, to buy it. Uh, if your mother or father had a long, prolonged period in an old folks' home, chances are you might too. If both your parents died at 60, chances are you might too. And you may not need long-term care. If you're 400 pounds, you probably don't need it because you're going to have a massive heart attack and die. Uh, anyway, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, I'm Rob. I've been doing this for 20 years, talking money and finances on the radio. My background is as a portfolio manager, investment advisor. Um, I try to approach this in a very honest and straightforward way to help you. No product, nothing <clears throat> uh, but experience and things that I do myself and the reason I do it. 
I like down markets. They make for things to be on sale. If I was 65 years old, I would hate a down market unless I had a plan. Thus, I'm telling you, sometimes around 55, you need to start having a plan. Until then, you accumulate. You accumulate intelligently, but you don't have to have a strict plan. I try to contribute 15 to 20% of my income a year. That's going to get me to where I need to go. Along the way, there's some hiccups that'll happen. A friend of mine just had a stroke. A coworker of mine just had a stroke. And he's not financially prepared. And that sucks. Because now he's going to have a health issue for the rest of his life. And he'll still have to get towards enough savings so that he can quit doing what he's doing. Anyway, let's talk a little real estate, maybe. Change the topic. Throw a curveball out there with Tony Mendez. Joining me now, mortgage lender, Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. It's BayAreaLoanSource.com. One of the standards or one of the rules, I guess, tied towards getting a mortgage now is you have to be a quali- for it to be qualified. It can't be more than 43% of your debt-to-income ratio. Your right. debt-to-income ratio can't be greater than 43%. What's that mean? So in January 10, 2014, the part of the Dodd-Frank implementation was something called qualified mortgages. Basically, lenders uh, will get federal uh, legal protection against lawsuits if they follow the qualified mortgage rule ability to repay rules, um, part of this this new law, uh, so to speak. And um, and what it does is limits the borrower's ability to borrow over a certain amount of their debt. So that 43% basically represents all of your debt on a monthly basis. Okay, so if you make ten thousand dollars a month, you can spend forty three hundred a month on all of your debt. It's interesting to note that when I was growing up, and I kind of hold these standards still to be fairly true, that you shouldn't spend more than twenty eight to forty percent of your income on your housing. Right. Because taxes are going to take fifteen to twenty percent of your income. Income tax is going to take another ten percent. Social security tax is going to take three plus percent, four five percent. It all adds up. And then you're left with how much can you really afford? It's somewhere between 28 and 40 percent. 40 percent, you're stretching yourself. 28 percent, you probably have a little bit more wiggle room in case you get in trouble and lose a job. I like rules like this because people can start saying, okay, there's my budget. If my budget is $100,000 a year, I can only afford 28 to 40000 If that's what's coming in, that's what can go out towards housing. Right. That's the basic idea. Another one that I like, and you can tell me if this is true or not, is two and a half times your income is what you could afford in a house. So if you make $100,000 a year, you could afford $250,000. It's a basic rule. Again, it doesn't take into cases low interest rates and some other scenarios, but I like it. Um, it shows people what you should be in. Even though we all want a million-dollar house, we don't all make $400,000 a year. Right. So, and that's that 43% is the what they call the back-end ratio or all of your debt, and they do set limits on your front-end ratio, which is just the new housing debt. And, of course, they don't factor in things like they use gross income on W-2. So they don't factor in taxes and expenses of owning the house, maintenance, and so forth. So then the lenders are, are, are honoring this for the most part. There are ways you can go over the 43% if you have a strong credit package, like better credit score, a lot more equity. Oh, I have a strong credit a lot, package. Uh, you know, a good income, solid job, and the type of property. There's, so you put the credit package together and you go higher. So lenders are able to go over it currently. 
Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, it's it's all about, you know, looking at the future of why you want to own this house. And, you know, are you getting the good tax breaks? Is it working as far as, you, you know, uh, are you going to have a kid? Do you have college to pay for and so on? Another rule that I kind of like, and you can tell me this, you get a good rate at 20% down, you get an okay rate at 10%. Okay rate at 10%, good rate at 20%, great rate at 25%, really great rate at 30%. Is there some truth to that statement that Absolutely. the more you put down, the better rate you get? Absolutely. And, again, it's part of your whole credit package, and equity and credit scores. Oh, my are... credit package is good. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Finish your thought. Uh, it's all about your credit package, and equity is one of the, the, the better scenarios or the better factors that helps you get the lower rate and, and uh, better pricing for that rate. Uh, not only that, better equity also helps you qualify for certain types of loans and certain types of properties. If it's an investment property, you want to put 25% down as opposed to 20. Um, you get a huge t- uh, cr- uh, benefit in rate, but it's 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 your whole package, and and it also helps you avoid mortgage insurance. And it's not you can get a great rate rate with FHA. As a matter of fact, better than you can get on a 25% down conventional. But you have mortgage insurance, so it's a way of avoiding mortgage insurance as well and getting a good rate of return on the money you're putting into your house and making it work for you to the best of the ability. I was reading a home equity line of credit document. Did you know that banks? typically put in language that they can cancel at any point in time. Absolutely. That has to be, like, shocking for some people because they don't expect that. They think I get a home equity line of credit. It's mine. I can do with it what I want, when I want, where I want, how I want. And you get a letter from the bank. There's no doubt that a lot of people back before 2007, 2008 did not read their note, their adjustable arm note, and they don't even know how they work. So it's important that you do understand those the terminology. Tony Mendez does a show here on KDOW every Thursday evening from 6 to 7 p.m. Listen to it. You'll learn a lot about one of the most important financial decisions you'll make in your life. You can find Tony Mendez at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. And I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. When will the selling stop or when will the volatility fade? I don't know. I know you don't feel like you're having fun right now, and that's actually a good thing because you shouldn't get too cocky and arrogant. Uh, 10% market decline from the high can be scary, but it's fleeting. When we've had full-blown corrections in bear markets, it typically takes three years to come out of it in a worst-case scenario to get you back to the market even levels. Just when investors thought the market's pain was ending, the selling resumes yesterday. It feels a little bit like a yo-yo. Or maybe a roller coaster is the right way of saying it. So typically when volatility starts, it's there for a little while. So a friend of mine who's married to a guy, she's now divorced from, but when he started showing signs of crazy, i.e. showing up drunk to pick up his kid at a nursery school, it was about to get worse from there. It wasn't going to get better. The drama picked up, and now things are calm in her life again. But it took a couple months to get through that. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. I know what you're trying to say, baby. You're trying to say, oh, yeah. Is business time. It's business. It's business time. I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business.
Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. You hear the music. It means the man himself is round. Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist with Briefing.com, here to talk the economy with us. And this is a big one. Dr. Jeff, how are you? Oh, pretty good of yourself. I'm good. Am I making too much out of this Friday jobs report? Because it seems like no, everything was like not. No, good. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I think that the make or break of a rate hike decision is going to be coming from that report. Is it too obvious? What do you mean? Since Wall Street already knows. Like, if we get a number of 160,000 jobs created, um, that's not good enough. And maybe that pushes us back into next year or late this year. If we get 260, is it, if I'm able to say that, is it too widely known and already almost built in? You would hope so. I mean, if you look at the futures market, they're still looking at December as the most likely outcome for the first rate hike. And it hasn't changed much over the last couple of weeks. Uh, the 10 year hasn't moved at all over the last, you know, few days, last probably t- almost a week now. Uh, it's staying around 2.2%. Uh, it looks like people are coming into the idea that, you know, we don't know anything until Friday. You know, we're, we're going to keep things relatively stable until then. So you know, I don't know how much of you know a rate hike is is priced in, but you know I do think that uh, everybody's looking for it and looking for that to be the key indicator. What do you think? And I know you're an economist and not a stock guy, but what do you think the market reacts? Uh, <laughs> yeah market doesn't move on fundamentals you know that we've seen over the last few years so i don't know you know you could say that if we have a good jobs report uh implies a rate hike and the market goes down because they you know look at rising rates and you you have a shift to to uh risk-free assets uh because you're getting more yield out of them you could say that uh, a good jobs report is positive for the market because it means the u.s economy is not depressed that the global uh, concerns that were heightened by some of these PMI reports are not flowing through, at least yet, to the U.S. You could say that a bad report could produce a very good stock market because it delays a, a rate hike. Uh, it, there's there's so many things that you could you could say and and probably argue it correctly. It's just yeah, the market itself is it's its own mechanism, it's its own machine. It does what it wants. Uh, you know, in the near term, in the long term, you would expect things to move, you know, in line with GDP growth. But, you know, on a week to week, day to day, you know, basis, there are so many things that can change and cause volatility that I, I couldn't tell you what the market's going to do based on the report. Okay. What do you expect? Well, I'm expecting a good report. You know, I'm expecting uh, above consensus uh, job growth, um, you know, 230, you know, probably right around there in terms of payrolls. Uh, unemployment rate to stay relatively the same, possibly tick up a little bit. Uh, we had an interesting report that came out last week that was buried within the uh, consumer confidence numbers. Now, okay. if you've heard me talk, you know, multiple times, I tell you that these confidence numbers are basically useless. They don't predict much. But uh, this one was kind of interesting in the fact that they asked people if they've seen uh, a pickup in available jobs. Basically, are jobs the same, jobs plentiful, or are the jobs hard to get? 
And for the first time since 2007, you had more people saying that jobs were plentiful as opposed to saying that jobs are tough to get. Now, if that's really the case and people are really seeing a big influx of job openings, and we've seen that in the JOLTS report, but if people are actually noticing it, we would expect to see some of the people that left because they were discouraged because they couldn't find a job to start filtering back into the, into the system, which could boost up the unemployment rate. Now, this is a story that we've been talking about for, you know, probably two or three years now saying, oh, these discouraged workers are going to come back. The unemployment rate is going to go up. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. But if you look at these kind of odd, you know, esoteric sentiment numbers, you know, it does give you a little hope. But I think the big number is the hourly earnings. You know, the Fed's looking to see if we can get inflation growth, if there's a pickup in, uh, in wages. And right now that's been weak. And if the job market is tightening, it would mean that employers have to boost wages to attract talent. You would expect to see hourly earnings start to rise. So I think that you know the headline is one thing, but I think the Fed's really going to pay attention to that hourly earnings number. Uh, you add it together with the headline payroll number, add in the average work week, you'll get an aggregate earnings number. If we get aggregate earnings above 06 to 0.8%, which would be, uh, you know, basically give you consumption growth without changing uh, the savings rate of around 3%, you know, I think things would be good. I think that you would see the Fed lean heavily towards a rate hike in, in September. I love hearing you talk. Let's change the topic slightly to productivity, even though I think it does tie into what you're talking about. Um, it seems like the productivity numbers that came out this morning were great, but there's a trend that is not positive in the, in the productivity numbers. What did you see? It was a good quarter. You know, the number clearly exceeded expectations. You had a major jump in output, and a lot of that we saw last week when the GDP numbers came out. Uh, unit labor costs were negative, which is good for businesses, bad for people. But, uh, you know, it implies that businesses do have the ability to raise wages because the costs aren't aren't there to, 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 to not raise wages. So, you know, things are looking good, but you, know, you look at it in, in a sense, and it's just one quarter. You know, previous quarters have been weak. If you look at the year-over-year numbers, we're only at uh, 0.7%, which is well below the 2% that you would like to see over uh, over a trend. I mean, really, what you look at productivity is productivity growth plus labor growth is your GDP numbers. And if you have productivity growth of 3%, you could have no labor. You have GDP above, you know, at 3%. Productivity growth of 2% and a normal labor growth of, of 1% gives you GDP of 3%. So, you know, the productivity on the year-over-year numbers is pretty weak. So, you know, if we can start seeing a better trend, you know, I would be much more, uh, you know, enthusiastic than what we saw in terms of just one report. The private payroll ADP numbers came out today. You don't put a lot of merit in that. You're looking at the BLS numbers on Friday more so. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the ADP numbers, you know, it is what it is. It's not, you know, an actual number by itself. It's basically um, Moody'sEconomy.com's forecast of the private payroll number that's going to come out not on Friday, but actually three months from now. They're forecasting what the final private payroll number is based on, uh, you know, some factors from uh, some lags of the BLS numbers along with some of the proprietary information that they do get from ADP on the number of people on the ADP payroll. 
but their forecast has been generally pretty bad. Uh, I don't take too much of it as you know something to look at. Uh, so you know it's one person's forecast out of the consensus of a hundred. You could take it at that and and go with it from there. Okay. Anything else that you're working on right now, Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist, Briefing.com, that you think we should be made aware of? Yeah, and pay attention to yields. You know, when you have these topsy-turvy equity markets, you know, it, it doesn't tell you what's going on in the economy. But if you look at the yields, at least you get a better sense of what the major uh, players in, uh, you know, in economic growth you know, are looking at. And right now, yields are pretty flat at 2.2% on the 10-year. Uh, the spread between the two and, and the ten has narrowed a little bit. Uh, you know, that's what would tell me if economic growth trends are weakening, or if economic growth trends are strengthening, or if things are just moving as they are. You know, in, in a in a flat way. So, you know, right now I'm not seeing a big move in yields. I'm not seeing those you know, that have too much of an impact. So I'm I'm pretty content on where things are. Okay. Um, inflation in the United States, is it going to start showing its head? Because it seems like that's the last thing the Fed really wants to see. But worldwide commodity prices have collapsed this year. So yeah. will we see inflation? Uh, not in the near term. Yeah. And the Fed's not looking in the near term, obviously. They're looking at a way of getting back to the 2% inflation threshold in the medium term. Medium term could be you know a year or so from now. I'm not seeing it at that, you know, until we start seeing wage growth where we could start seeing businesses try to demand a little bit more money for products, uh, things are going to slow. And the underlying prices, you know, PPI levels are, are weak. The underlying commodity prices are low and they're, and they're falling. So, you know, as that factors through, it doesn't give an incentive to the producers to drive up prices because uh, there's no cost to push inflation. Now, if you look at uh, the, the the dollar value, the dollars appreciated, meaning that the goods that we're buying from overseas cost less. Another knock against, you know, inflation growth. So I don't see it right now. I think the Fed is hoping. You know, I think that wage number will give them some indicator of what's going on or what the potential is going to happen in the near term. But uh, you know, right now, you know, unless we see a big, you know, gain in wages, inflation growth is going to be slow and steady at, you know, these basically non-inflationary trends. Thanks very much. It's Dr. Jeff Rosen with briefing.com telling us like it is and what we need to know as far as where we are in the cycle, economically speaking, with the Fed Reserve, with inflation. Um, there's so much going on at this point in time with markets. And I think the two biggest stories, China and interest rates. And he's on top of the interest rate story. He thinks it's coming. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. 
I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Uber. Not every city has Ubers and Lyfts. And uh, so this story may not hit people, but Uber's efforts to stifle a legal challenge to its business model was struck down by a federal judge yesterday. He granted class action status to a lawsuit claiming that car hailing services treats its drivers like employees without providing the necessary benefits. Um, Uber's raised billions of dollars from investors, has a valuation of about $51 billion, which is just egregious for a company that's burning through money and now sits on the precipice of a lawsuit that could materially hurt the company. It operates, they say, a technology platform for connecting drivers and passengers rather than a taxi service which owns cars and employs drivers. So if the class action succeeds, it could force Uber to pay drivers for health insurance, workers' compensation, work expenses such as t- work expenses such as tolls, fuel, and car repairs. Um, so that's kind of interesting uh, to see where that's going to go. Some other stories of note out there today. Uh, the U.S. revised second quarter productivity up to 3.3% from 2.8%. That goes with the GDP revision we saw. We'll talk with Dr. Jeff Rosen a little bit later about productivity and why should you care. Ultimately, um, it keeps inflation subdued. Labor Day travelers are going to spend $13.5 billion this weekend, up 2% from last year. Restaurants, gas stations, hotels, tourists, tourist businesses, all get you know a rake and pull in some cash this weekend. Estimated $13.5 billion during the end of summer holiday. 2% increase over last year. Apple's been making some rumblings, rumble, 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 about original content. And they would instantly compete with Netflix and Hulu. Um, how, many, how many of these do we need? If they're going to instantly get it into a competition with Spotify on music streaming, could they package streaming and videos and suddenly Spotify looks a little bit worse? Like, they could. So at what point does Apple become too big? And what point does the government go, we need to keep an eyeball on this? U.S. auto sales rose. We saw the numbers up yesterday, fastest sales pace in 10 years, lured by financing and low fuel prices, optimism on the economy. One of the companies that I wish was public because I think it would be awesome. Everything's awesome. Legos. Lego, as a company, appears largely immune to the current global crisis, right? You want to get your kids into the Legos because that gets them into like building things and robots and not playing video games and watching television. It's a beloved company. It's reported an 18% increase in the first half global sales. 18% increase in the first half of sales this year. Wow. And you could look at, like, Russia versus Ukraine. You could look at the Iran nuclear deal. You could look at what's going on in China. What is going on in China? Lego is pushing ahead with its plans for expansion in Asia, including establishing a new manufacturing facility in China to meet regional demand for the plastic bricks. Asia was their strongest-growing region during the first six months, and that's a reinforcement that they need to continue to push out to their consumers and get the product in their hands. So despite vulnerability in China... China's growth slowed out in currency devaluation. Lego reported Asia was awesome. 
I think that's worthy of note. And Lego's gotten in some other type of Legos. They're doing like ninjas, Ninjango, and elves. Um, they've got more movies in the works. Lego said the underlying revenue growth of 18% was encouraging because they had to deal with a strong uh, cur- uh, currency issue. And they did okay through it. Um, you know, Mattel saw its first half revenues fall 4.9% as Barbie sales slips. Uh, Lego expects its long-running Star Wars franchise will get a boost from the new Star Wars movie, premiering in December. So, I wish I owned Lego. They're not publicly traded, but I wish they were. Uh, I'm not a toy guy. I'm not a toy junkie. Like, don't accuse me of that. I'm not a weirdo. I don't play with Legos as an adult. You know what I find frightening? And these are people we should profile. Adults that go to Disneyland. Are you with me or are you against me on that one? I had a friend that, uh, her and her boyfriend got engaged at Disneyland. I'm like, if a guy, if I'm a woman, let's imagine me as a woman, and a guy gets down on a knee at Disneyland, I'm, the first thing that comes out of my mouth, oh no, you didn't. Oh no. And I would run. So take me to a beach in Mexico. Take me to a pier. Take me somewhere sweet. McDonald's is offering all-day breakfast. Did I tell you already that McDonald's is offering all-day breakfast and how that's going to change the world? Like, all things are good. I bet if I look at the stock market right now, it's up because McDonald's is offering all-day breakfast. Let's take a look. Oh, I'm right. So McDonald's is changing the world. How do you feel? No, seriously, how do you feel? I'm asking you, how do you feel? So, um... Franchisees are going to have to pay somewhere between $500 and $5,000 for some more equipment. So they're not loving it. They need new toasters because existing units can be adjusted to warm either hamburger buns or muffins, which toast at different temperatures. Now most restaurants are being outfitted with two toasters connected together. It can toast both buns and muffins at the same time. It's just so complicated. It's just so complicated. The egg can't touch the hamburger. Uh Uh-uh. McDonald's says breakfast accounts for about 25% of sales. Extending it all day could push breakfast items to 29% of sales. Ooh, that's a lot of effort. So, that's a lot of effort. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about? Intel's overhauling its flagship line of computer chips. Try to cut down on power and boosting performance. Do you care anymore about this? Like new semiconductors? Or was that a 1990s thing? I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, 
uncovers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.